what in the world, what in the world is the Bible, all right? Um, if you didn't know it, there's kind of like two parts. And so um, th- this is what people call the Old Testament, all right? And uh, this is what people call the New Testament, all right? Now, I say people because God didn't call it that necessarily, although Jesus, you know, well, we'll get to that later. But uh, at the Lord's Supper says this covenant is the new covenant. And so anyway, um, but just for FYI, when Jesus read his scriptures, what was he reading? This or he was reading this, right? And he didn't call it the Old Testament. He just called it. The scriptures. Okay. Just food for thought. Okay. So anyway, what is this part about and what is this part about? Well, this part is about, right, Jesus, right, and the church. All right? My spelling, I get so nervous about my spelling up here. It's just panicky. All right? (laughs) Jesus and the church. Did I spell that right? Okay. And, and this, this is about Abraham and his family. All right? Thank you very much. Now you know the Bible. That's, that's the Bible. That's the whole thing right there. You got, that's it. This is the story of the church, Jesus and his family. This is the story of Abraham and his family. What is the Bible about? The story of the nation of what? Israel. All right? That's what it is. How did it start? Where did it go? Okay. Now, you got that so far? The over, that's the whole Bible. That's the whole thing right there. All right? And uh, there's a gap in the middle here, you know, uh, several hundred years right here in the middle. Uh, But before we go on, let me just, let me just tell you this. Oh, I knew this would happen. Let me just zoom in on this story over here, all right? Oh, boy. I told you you could get coffee. I did tell you that. So I don't know what the Old Testament is. I don't know that story. Well, I'll tell it to you really quick, all right? There's a guy named Abraham that God came to, to kind of God's way of redeeming, of fixing the mess that humanity had gotten itself into. He knocks on the door of a man named Abram. One, two, three. Abram. And then later his name was changed to Abraham. All right, all right. So, later on, Abraham and his family end up in, all right, that, my friends, is a pyramid. That is the pyramid of Giza. All right, I mean, that's quality. All right, all right. So they end up in Egypt, and they are what? Slaves. Have you guys ever watched a movie? If you haven't read the Bible, you should at least go see the movie, all right? There's slaves in Egypt. How many know this story? And it is this, it is this incredible escape, all right? The escape, all right? All right? Also known as the Exodus, second book of the Bible, all right? So they, they escape. And you know the miracles and the, you know the frogs and the plagues. You know these things, right? And then they go through the... The sea, the sea is parted, and they come to uh, the wilderness, all right? I know, I know, all right? And in the wilderness, they come to a mountaintop, all right? And in the mountaintop, 
Moses gets the what? The commandments, right? Are you with me? Okay, you're getting the whole story, right? And so then they wander in the wilderness for a long time, and they're on their way to the promised land. Very good, very good. So they go to the promised land. And when they go to the promised land, um, they want a king because everybody else has a PlayStation, right? If they, they have a play, why can't we have it? Why can't we have a king? And like, no, you don't need a king because no, we want a king. And so finally, oh boy, finally they get a king. First king's name is Saul. Well done. Those of you that went to Sunday school, all right? And uh, Saul is soon replaced by David, King David. And David sort of represents, right, the height of their uh, glory there. So they are this king, this kingdom. So Abraham, his family ends up, because of a famine, in Egypt. They escape. God does all these miracles. He gives them the law. They go in the wilderness. They wander around. They finally make it to their promised land. Okay? And then... What happens? Well, they aren't following the rules. God had told them, when you get to the promised land, a land that I will give you, a land that's flowing with milk and honey, you know, like cattle and vegetables, basically, right? The good stuff. Um, When you get there, don't forget who brung you. You know the saying, dance with the one that brung you? Some of you ladies, pay attention to that, all right? Uh, God is saying, when you get to the... This is something for everybody today, all right? When, when you get to the promised land, don't forget who, what? Brought you here. Isn't that a great lesson for all of us, by the way? Isn't that a great lesson for us today? Don't forget who brought you here. It's easy once you get somewhere to think, you know, aren't I the stuff, Right? And he's saying, no, 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 it was my hand, it was my grace, right? We're all, every person in this room, I think, would, if they were honest, could say, you know what, we're blessed, we're pretty fortunate to be where we are today. And this, you didn't do anything personally to fight for, you know, an independent nation, you know, 200 years ago. You didn't, I mean, we're all sitting on someone else's blessing. So he says that it's God that brought you into this land. So when you get there, make sure that you remember what it was like to be here. You know what we love in every great, like, let's say, super athlete or wealthy person? We love it when they go back to their old neighborhoods, don't we? We love these, aren't these great ESPN stories? They go back to their neighborhood and they give things out or they give scholarships to kids. They remember where they came from. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget Deuteronomy chapter 8. Don't forget, remember, remember, remember. It's the theme of Deuteronomy. And he's saying don't forget where you came from and don't forget what it was like to be Low man on the totem pole, as they say. The outsider, the outcast, the nobody. The person that couldn't vote. How were voting privileges in Egypt back in the day when you were a slave? Not good. But once they got here, they got a little big for their britches, as we say. You know these sayings, right? Did you have these sayings in your house? Don't get too big for your britches, young man. And they did. They got, a little, they got a little high and mighty. And then they started looking at their neighbors 
as, well, they don't deserve this land. And God kept saying, be good to your neighbors, the foreigner, the alien, the outsider. Instead of being good to them, they used these guys up here as slaves to help build their kingdom even higher. And God says, I can't approve of that. And so they lose their privilege in the promised land, and they're taken to what the Bible refers as exile. Well, I knew I'd do it. There's an L and there's an E. All right, work with me. They go to exile. Where are they exiled to? Babylon. One, two, three. Babylon. That, my friends, is the story of what we call the Old Testament. They are in exile, and now they are in exile. They are where, in relation to their promised land, away. Now they're slaves again. So this is the roller coaster ride that they're on. The, the whole story of the Old Testament sort of fits in this framework. Now, the Bible itself. What if, what if back in the day, we'll just start with the Old Testament, right? You were the first one to find a copy of the Old Testament. Think about it. You know, you're just rummaging around in the dirt and all of a sudden, what's this thing here, right? What is this? Now, if you found this, it wouldn't have gold edges. Huh? Like my Bible does, right? It wouldn't have like a little nice marker. You just found it. It was just... And and if you found it, you would say, wonder what this is. I wonder what kind of document this is. It would have been a lot bigger than this, and that's a whole other story. But go with you would have said, is, what kind of a thing is this? So before we read one word of the Bible, and we're starting from the beginning, in the beginning, before we read one word, we want to ask a question first, and that is, what kind of book or document is this? What kind? I'll give you some options. You could say, this is an owner's manual. Oh, these are fun reading, aren't they? Owner's manual? Now, can I just say, a lot of people would choose this option, all right? Um, you could say, I didn't want to carry one up there. They're way, way too heavy. This is a textbook. Don't you love anybody? Textbooks? But they're... How many like me? This is what I used to do for the benefit, I guess, of my dad or somebody. Uh, I used to carry my books home every single day in a huge backpack, set the backpack by the front door, never open it and pick it up on my way out the next morning. This is what I did for four years in high school, right? I really didn't like school. Uh, How many classes do I have to pass to stay in the football team? This was what I thought of. These textbooks. So if, if if you pick this up, you could say, is this a owner's manual of some sort? Is this a textbook of some sort? Or is this a piece of literature of story fashion? Okay, here's your options. You're going to pick. Stay involved. Ready? This is an owner's manual. This is B, right? A story. Or this is C, a textbook. A, B, or 
C on the count of three. One, two, three. What'd you say? B. B. Smartest church in town. Smartest church in town, right? This is a story of some fashion. So, how many love a good story? Love a good story. Love it. I don't know why you guys picked it. You're just smart. You know that it's not a owner's manual, although sometimes you're tempted in our culture to treat the Bible like an owner's manual because people will always say to you, what does the Bible say about headlights? And you go, glad you asked. There's a code for that, right? Isn't that how we treat it a lot of times? Let's be truthful. And when we say, what does the Bible say? That's code for what does God say? Isn't that true? And that's not really a fair way to treat the Bible. In fact, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble doing that. I was with our guys group the other day, and I was quoting them a verse. I said, I want you guys, we're going to do, we're going to do a memory verse tonight. You know, and all the guys were like, oh, we've never done a memory verse before. I said, yep, memory verse. You know, and I quote them a verse from 1 Corinthians, and it says, men who are married should live as if they are not. <laughs> Make sure your wives know you're learning scripture when you're with me. How many know? A little out of context. You kind of need to read the whole story. You get what I'm saying? So people have done this, and and they've, they've hurt other people. They've hurt a lot of other people because they've treated the Bible as if it's this. And they went and they found a verse that completely misses the point, completely misses the overarching story, and therefore condemned somebody or did something. Now, if you find us, here's how I always tell people. If you want to slice a verse out, to lift yourself up in the day that says, love God and love others, I am all for a slice. Anybody? But if you're, listen, very carefully what I'm going to tell you. If you're using a slice to tear somebody down or to be mean or to find some justification for a certain way of treating other people, my friends, this is so dangerous. So sure, slice something out to lift yourself up, right? Something positive, something uplifting. You can pull it all the way out of context. It doesn't matter. But my friends, it's not a owner's manual. We don't look up as an index. Um, it's not a textbook. It's just not. And you know that because you guessed the right answer, but you're also tempted. Like in Genesis, people get tempted to go, well, we got to find, this is telling us historically how, scientifically, how God, no, 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 no. It's not trying to historically tell you how God created. It's not trying to tell you scientifically how God created. It's not trying to do that. It's trying to tell you a story. So it starts like this. Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. Wow. The heavens and the earth. The land and the sky. And the land was formless and void. And it goes on. Now, your Bible and my Bible are broken up into chapters and verses. Right? This is not how you would have found it this way. When you found it in the dirt and the dust, it had no chapters and verses. You would have had to find other ways. If you read a a story or if you watch a movie, there's usually a point, right? There's not 77 points to a movie. 
How many know there's usually one main point? Maybe a few sub... Is this true? I saw a movie last night. It definitely had a point. It had a political point. No question about it. The Bible has a point. What's the point? Let's go. Genesis 1, 2. Now the earth... This is the beginning. The earth or the land, we'll get to that, was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay, so we know right at the beginning that this, this is focusing on the earth or the land. All right? Now, um, if I can, let me show you how this story kind of works. All right. Wow, we are going to have to get a better board really soon. All right. Can you still see this? Can you read it? Is, it, is this even... Okay. All right. So I'm going to make you a sandwich. Anybody hungry? All right. This is a literary sandwich. All right. So if this is a story... Oh, speaking of not liking classes, you know the class I like the least in school? English lit. Oh, put a fork in me. But I got to be honest with you. I never read any of them. I don't know how I passed. I mean, you start to read it, like, I have no idea what is going on. Anybody? Anyway, here I am. Uh, this, is, this is bad. Like, this is the, was that the Sunday he stood there with his back to us, erasing the board all day? Yeah, that was that Sunday. Yeah, That's when I brought the neighbors. That's when I invited the neighbors. Okay. Erasers are dandy, too. Okay. Flip it over? Oh, okay. All right. Flip it around? Oh, yeah! Vanna White! I love it! Here we go. All right. All right. Oh, gosh. On the way home, it's not usually that bad, honestly. Come one more time. It's not usually that bad. Like, it's usually better. All right. Oh, I'm so glad. That was stressful, Colleen. I'm so glad you told me. Okay. So if this is a story, there's some hints there. Um, first book of the Bible is called, oh, you're, see, smartest church in town, Genesis, first book. First book. So Genesis, and it was separated that way. And so we had the beginning, Right? 1, Genesis 1, 2. Let's go to the end just for grins. Just for grins. Let's go to the end of Genesis. Let's go to the end of this first part of the story. How does Genesis end? Remember they made their way into Egypt? Remember the pyramids? Joseph, right? Abraham's family. And uh, guess what happens at the end? Watch this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, uh, I'm about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this. What's the word? Out of this land land to the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're saying to me, oh, that's just a coincidence. Beginning of Genesis. Ready? End of Genesis. The next verse, he says, swear to me. Swear to me that you will take my bones out of Egypt 
and take them to the what? To the land. All right? So this is the first sandwich I'm going to make you, right? 24 and 25. I just made you a little sandwich right there. Land and what? The promised land. Just a coincidence. All right? The other thing that you know if you've ever studied the Bible is the first five books of the Bible go together. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and... It's like Sunday school for adults. First five books of the Bible, they go as a set. Genesis, first in a five-part series, right? Rocky five. That's where they should have stopped there. (laughs) How does, so there's the first sandwich. How does the second sandwich end? Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab across from Jericho. You get this? If it was a movie, you got a guy climbing a mountain. Don't make it boring. Make it good. Mountain climb. What's a good mountain climbing movie? Who watched Cliffhanger? Huh? Speaking of the Stallone man, right? You watch Cliffhanger? Climbing a mountain. You got Moses he's climbing a mountain. He gets to the top. Can you go back to that verse? And there, the Lord showed him the whole what. And you're back there saying, just a coincidence, Chris. Just a coincidence. Perhaps. Moses climbs to the top of a mountain, stands up there, right? He is not going to get to go into the promised land. This is the land that flows with milk and honey, right? But he's able to look at it. And it says in there that He buried him. He most likely referring to God. I mean, what a great story. What a great movie. Huh? God being your pallbearer. Who's going to do the pallbearing? Well, the Almighty will probably take left side. This is a good story. I mean, if God buries you, that's a good story. Did you see Braveheart? Remember when he's burying? Okay, okay. God gets a shovel out. Moses right there. And he looks, he shows him the land. Chris, this is such a coincidence. Okay, let's go to the end of the old sandwich three. Starts with land. How does the end of the story go? Remember, they end up in exile. Remember this? Let me show you that exile part. This would be 2 Kings. All right? The last king was a king named Zedekiah. One, two, three. Zedekiah. And it says they took Zedekiah and they brought his sons. I mean, this is Braveheart type stuff, right? They bring his sons out. 
Now, Zedekiah was this king that was rebelling, and they were, the prophets were warning, don't keep, don't keep doing this. And he, they would, he wouldn't listen, he wouldn't listen. So they're captured by the Babylonians, and they, they captured the king named Zedekiah. They starved everyone out. They surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and there's a famine. People, when, when people get hungry, they start doing crazy things to each other. And everything's coming unraveled. Everything's falling apart. And this last king, remember the story from David and Solomon, glory and power and wealth and all that. Now they're down in the dirt. And Zedekiah, they bring his sons out. And in front, every great gripping movie has this scene in it. Right? you got this really brave guy, you know, James Bond or whoever he is, and he's not afraid of anything, but he kind of has the hots for this one really girl, and he's, he's willing to go through anything, but what they do is they capture the, the girl, and now they're going to kill what? The girl, so it puts him, right? So this is, I'm going to kill your girl, I'm going to kill your son, and they take the sons of Zedekiah, and they what? They kill him. Right in front of him. You guys should read the Bible more. And then they gouge his eyes out. This is how the story of the Old Testament ends. And then it says, and then... So Judah went into captivity, ready, away from her, what, land. Can I rest my case? I didn't know this whole story was about the land. Yeah, that's the whole Old Testament. It's a story that was written to Israel at a time when they had lost their, what? So guess what? When was the Old Testament put together? It was told orally. It was put together, compiled, and edited when they had been exiled from their what? What was the story about? It was to give people hope that one day you're going to be able to get back to that land. That's what it's about. All right, I told you that would only take me a couple minutes. <laughs> now to the message. Think about this. They started... They didn't mass-produce these things, but they wrote it down and they would share it. There's things people... The whole town would get together. Like, people get together for a movie, like a drive-in. And then some would stand up and they would read this. Because now two generations have gone by and they don't know their own story. And so someone would get up and all day they would read the story, the history. And they were trying to connect the next generation to their history and so they could have hope for a, what? Future. What if you grew up in Babylon? You were one of the kids, and your parents were a part of this generation, but you were, you were taken into captivity, and you were born, and that's all you knew. And you would start to worry. Ask, ask, like, 
families that have a couple generations where, where they, uh, they immigrated to the U.S. and then they're, they're trying to keep their culture from where they were and their kids are listening to the Backstreet Boys. I'm like, no, no, you know, we got to go do, this is our, we want to keep the what? So why do we have the Bible in the first place? Because they're trying to keep a national identity and they're trying to give them a hope for a future. I thought, Chris, I was supposed to read the Bible to what I could get out of it for me. I didn't say you couldn't get anything out of it for you. It's just a bad place to start. You don't go to a movie and go, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Do you? You go to the movie and go, hmm, I wonder what this is all about here. I wonder what this is going to. And when it's all over, you go, oh, if it's really good, you go, oh. If it's really bad, you go, oh, my goodness, how much did that cost? But you, you get a point. So I'm going to make a point with you. No matter how chaotic your life is, and the word chaos is in the beginning for a reason, because they were feeling chaos in where they were living now. Anybody's life ever feel like chaos? Uncontrollable? Out of reach? Unmanageable? You ever feel like some other people are in control of your life instead of yourself? Or instead of God? Then this is a message that says, when it feels unmanageable, there's hope. In fact, one of the refrigerator verses that we love is, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a, what? Future. Where does that come from? Jeremiah writing to the people who are in exile. There's a hope and a future for you. What we know is all of us, listen, all of us have to have hope. Hope is oxygen to our soul. The minute you don't have hope, the minute you can't see hope, you're toast. You're defeated. You're deflated. And your willingness to put more energy in has gone. And so what they're trying to do is infuse people with hope. Second point I'd like to make today is this. God makes all this stuff. And Paul's perspective later on, writing in the New Testament, Paul says, God created all this stuff, Second Timothy Chapter 6, for us to enjoy. How many have ever gone to church and were commanded to enjoy your life? I command you. We sometimes miss the most obvious things. Who has ever made a fabulous breakfast for the family and just couldn't stop smiling watching everyone enjoy it? Who's ever, who has ever built something in the backyard and watched the kids run to the swing set and laugh and smile? This, this year we, we got together for the family Christmas and we were watching pictures. And I still remember my grandma has all the grandkids around and we're watching movies and she wants to watch old movies of when we first got the play set for her backyard. And me and my brother Dave, because we're the oldest of the grandkids, we got to go and pick it out. And she's like, do you remember? And all like... 
12 of us are on the play structure at one time. It was built for like three, right? And we're hanging on the crossbar and we're all like showing off. And they're all, and my grandma was so full of joy watching us enjoy something that she built and my, or she bought, my grandpa built for us. Why did God make all of this? For pure enjoyment. That's not very theological, Chris. That's not very pastoral. You should be putting the hammer down. Why did he make it? He stepped back and he goes, this is good. This is good. Huh? Man, the other day I made the best breakfast burrito. Oh my gosh, was it good. <laughs> Spicy hot sausage in there with salsa. Mm. Anybody just... How many like to just grunt instead of speak? Just grunt when you're eating. Mm. Why couldn't the point of the whole thing to be just enjoy? Let me ask you a question about enjoying. Are you at your best behavior? We'll talk about because that's what most people think church is about behavior, right? But are you at your best when you're Happy or unhappy? How many are just, it's just easy for you to be nice to people when you're happy? Huh? How many are like, you're out buying things? Yeah, it's on me. You know, it means you're happy. When you're unhappy, what are you doing? How much is that? Let me, let me see the bill. Am I right? You perform, listen to me, this is so important. You perform, if that's the right word, Best when you are happy, when you're enjoying. God created all, Paul said, all of this for us to just what? Why do you crave a vacation every once in a while? Let me tell you one reason I think so. I think we take the time when we're on vacation, we give ourselves permission to enjoy stuff that we could or should enjoy every single day. We pause longer at the sunset. We go to a park. There's a park right next to your house that you never go to, but you go to, right? You do the thing. You you connect with what it's all about. If we're all enjoying creation, enjoying each other, what is the next natural thing? We're naturally going to be good to each other. When you're happy, you're inclined to be good. This is, if I could say this, this is the commandment before any commandments. God says it's good. Paul says he created it all for us to enjoy. God makes it all, and then God says, bon appetit. Enjoy that. What if the greatest commandment was just to enjoy life? Not at others' expense, not at stupidity, but at a deep level, enjoy it. 